podcast of the Edwin O. Reischauer Center for East Asian Studies at Johns Hopkins SICE. Our website is reischauercenter.org. I'm Evan Sankey. This episode was recorded remotely on April 23rd, 2020. Our guest today is Dr. Wan Hyuk Lim, professor at the KDI School of Public Policy and Management and visiting professor at Johns Hopkins SICE in 2020. Dr. Lim joined the Korea Development Institute in 1996, where he has been vice president and director of the Department of Competition Policy, the inaugural executive director of the Center for Regulatory Studies, director of the Global Economy Division, and chair of the KDI Publication Committee. Most recently, he served as associate dean in the Office of Development Research and International Cooperation at the KDI School. Dr. Lim's research focuses on industrial organization, economic governance, and economic development. His most recent publications include Understanding the Drivers of Trust in Government Institutions in Korea from the OECD, Improving Regulatory Governance also from the OECD, The Korean Economy from a Miraculous Past to a Sustainable Future from Harvard, and Global Leadership in Transition, Making the G20 More Effective and Responsive from Brookings and KDI. He received a BAS in physics and history and a PhD in economics from Stanford University. He joins us today for a conversation on South Korea's response to the ongoing COVID-19 global pandemic. Dr. Lim, welcome to the program. The, the features of South Korea's successful pandemic response have drawn global attention, praise, and emulation. I was hoping you begin. Uh, you could begin by explaining the timeline of Korea's response. Okay. Um, before uh, discussing Korea's response to COVID nineteen, I think it's necessary to look at prehistory. Okay. And uh, that's basically a failed response to uh, MERS, uh, Middle right. East Respiratory Syndrome, in two thousand fifteen. Uh, in fact, Korea had the uh, highest number of confirmed cases outside uh, Saudi Arabia at the time. Uh, and uh, case mortality uh, or fatality rate was about 20%. So it is a very serious problem. And at the time, uh, there were basically uh, two uh, main problems. Uh, first uh, was that Korea failed to uh, quickly identify and isolate uh, infected people. And second, uh, information disclosure was very, uh, very problematic. Information flow was uh, uneven uh, between the uh, health authorities and uh, local governments, for, ex uh, for example, and the central government and local governments. But also, uh, the uh, government officials apparently wanted to avoid panic by not disclosing uh, necessary information, key information uh, as well. And given uh, the lack of information and the uh, uh, ongoing um, infection and deaths of some people, it actually caused more panic, not less. And these two, uh, two failures, uh, uh, first on the uh, testing and contact tracing side, uh, the, the second on the uh, um, information disclosure side had a big impact on Korea's uh, subsequent preparation for the next infectious disease epidemic, basically. And so it just so happened that MERS in 2015, it wasn't as infectious as COVID-19. It killed, right. I think, hundreds of people or just between 100 and 200 people in South Korea. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. And it just petered out naturally over time. As yeah, yeah, that uh, I mean, we are lucky in that regard. Yeah, I said. What about what about SARS? SARS, uh, Korea was even luckier because we had only uh, four confirmed cases of SARS, and um, uh, it it petered out, as you know, it, it kind of disappeared. Uh, but uh, after the uh, SARS epidemic in Asia, especially Hong Kong and China. Uh, the Korean government at the time uh, made some efforts to uh, shore up, uh, you know, the uh, institutional uh, capacity. For instance, setting up Korea 
centers for uh, uh, disease control and uh, prevention, uh, KCDC, uh, modeled after CDC in the United States. Uh, but uh, one thing that's kind of uh, worth noting is that even though Korea established uh, KCDC, uh, the kind of uh, further institutional infrastructure that's needed to uh, respond effectively to epidemics uh, was rather weak. So, so you know, that's part of the reason we had such a big problem with uh, MERS. What, what specifically, uh, legally and institutionally speaking, what changed after MERS? Uh, in July 2015, um, when MERS epidemic was uh, subsiding, uh, there was uh, an overall amendment of a wholesale amendment of the uh, uh, key act uh, having to do with uh, disease control and uh, prevention. It's called the uh, um, uh, Infectious Disease uh, Control and Prevention Act. Uh, and there were a number of new provisions introduced as a result of the failed response to MERS. Um, for, uh, first, uh, there was a lot of emphasis on uh, information flow. So, for instance, uh, there was a provision on sharing information between the central government and local governments, as well as uh, health authorities. In addition, uh, there was an information disclosure requirement uh, placed on health authorities. So if there's an infectious uh, disease uh, that's, uh, that's a, a public concern, uh, health authorities uh, now have to uh, disclose uh, relevant information to the public. Okay. Uh, in addition, uh, there was uh, also provision for uh, requesting uh, the provision of uh, information. For instance, the uh, health authorities could request the, the uh, public safety authorities uh, about the uh, on regarding locational information of uh, uh, infected people and suspected cases, for instance. Uh, but there was uh, also a safeguard based on uh, a personal information protection act. So it, this was not wholesale, you know, blanket uh, information disclosure of everything, uh, but rather there were some safeguards. But at the same time, there was a lot of emphasis on information flow in that regard. Uh, secondly, there was a lot of emphasis on capacity building, for instance, uh, you know, hiring epidemiolog uh, epidemiological investigators, uh, not only at the uh, central government level, but at local governments as well. And uh, you know, uh, uh, there was a specific provision in the amendment that called for uh, an inclusion of specific uh, manuals and plans in preparation for the next epidemic. So there was a did, lot of, uh, yeah. Did the laws also address um, uh, one of the key features, it seems, of the, of the South Korean response to COVID-19 is just the speed with which testing was, tests were created and disseminated. Right. Was right. that part of the MERS uh, legacy as well? It, it was part of the legacy, but not uh, the uh, legal amendment side, okay. not on the okay. legal amendment side. But uh, you are right uh, in that, you know, uh, lack of testing was a big problem. Uh, so uh, after uh, uh, Korea learned pay painful lessons from uh, the MERS epidemic, there was emphasis on uh, building up capacity to uh, ramp up testing not only in the public sector, but in the private sector, and uh, having information uh, sharing between the public sector and, uh, and uh, the uh, private sector. And I, I guess I should just say for our listeners, MERS uh, stands for Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. Right. It came from Saudi Arabia uh, and spread to South Korea and elsewhere in 2015. That's right. That's right. So, so uh, talk to us about... Uh, the timeline of the response to COVID-19. Uh, my understanding is that both the United States and South Korea had their first cases on the same day, uh, January right. 20. Right, right. What, well, what, how, did, how did South Korea respond? Uh, very rapidly and right. early. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, 
it, it was right around the time of uh, New Year's Day uh, holidays, actually. Um, but you know, KCDC didn't take holidays really, um, and didn't take time off. And in fact, based on the uh, disclosure of the genetic sequence by the Chinese authorities of this new coronavirus on January 12th, and as you mentioned, the first confirmed case in Korea, basically a Chinese tourist uh, coming in from Wuhan on January uh, 20th, KCDC really got to work and had its, uh, its uh, sort of uh, uh, test, uh, uh, test information ready uh, by, uh, by the uh, 20, uh, 20, uh, uh, 27th. So on January, January 27th, which happened to be the last day of uh, uh, Lunar New Year's holidays uh, in Korea uh, this year, uh, the uh, KCDC convened not only uh, epidemi uh, epidemiological uh, experts, but also private sector companies uh, to urge them to come up with a prototype uh, for the uh, for the test kit, and one of the uh, one of the companies uh, present at the meeting came up with a, pro a successful prototype uh, four days later, and uh, four days after that uh, there was a fast track uh, emergency use approval of uh, the the first uh, test kit, and four other companies followed uh, shortly thereafter. So they used. Right. They use the, uh, my understanding is they use the World Health Organization model. That's right. The test kits. Okay. That's right. Yeah. So real-time polymerase uh, right. chain, uh, chain reaction uh, right. uh, test is the, is the model they use. And uh, even though uh, Korea was yet to have any uh, death from uh, coronavirus at the time, uh, the test kits uh, were being readied, right? And... Uh, we, uh, Korea was able to deploy them in massive quantities in February. Now, now was the, did the Korean government have to um, use its powers in order to force these companies to make more tests? So in the United States, we've had the federal government right. use the right. Defense Production Act to really ramp up production of certain things. Uh, no, actually, that that's the interesting part. You know, uh, you know there are about... Uh, uh, 13 companies that can produ uh, produce test kits like these. And it's basically a logic of competition and market okay. opportunity for these guys rather than uh, any uh, any resort to uh, to National Defense uh, Production Act or anything like that. Okay. But it, was a, it sounds like a close sort of public-private partnership. Oh, that's correct, yes. Okay. And so, so how were they distributed? They were they were moved around to the localities and sent to testing centers, uh, testing centers, but also uh, private sector hospitals as well. I see. So, so more than uh, six hundred places uh, uh, eventually were uh, able to receive these test kits. And important thing from important lesson from the uh, MERS epidemic for Korea was to separate, you know, uh, people with suspected uh, respiratory uh, problems uh, from uh, uh, other, uh, other, pro uh, other uh, people who may visit uh, hospitals for other reasons, right? So uh, these uh, test centers were set up separately uh, from uh, hospitals, basically. So, uh, for instance, uh, in a parking lot, uh, removed from you know emergency room and other places where you know a contagion could take place uh, very easily if uh, these people come into the hospital. So they uh, they were uh, set up this way. I see, and, and that included a lot of a lot of drive-throughs. Uh, drives, yeah, yes, there were drive-through uh, uh, you know test centers, but. Uh, what is more impo important was uh, walk-through. Uh, oh, I see. So they are much larger. Right. Right. That's right. Yeah. The the drive-through concept has been has been uh, sort of touted in the United States as a lesson right. learned from North Korea. Right. New, right. New York City, New York State deployed drive-throughs. I should mention um, uh, before before we go on that the uh, the Reichauer Center for East Asian Studies highlighted uh, uh, many of South Korea's um, best practices 
uh, in a report uh, that we published on uh, COVID-19 policy lessons learned from East Asia. Right. And our, our listeners can download that report at our website, uh, reichshourcenter.org. Right. So right. walk us through walk us through what happened after January 27th when the tests were deployed. What's uh, what's been the right the, the front line? What does the front line look like? Well, at at that time, uh, the emphasis was placed on uh, contact tracing of uh, every uh, confirmed case. Right. So you could go to uh, uh, KCBC. Uh, website and see, for instance, patient number one had uh, this kind of uh, itinerary. Uh, she caught a, uh, uh, you know, she was on this plane. Uh, she visited uh, these uh, restaurants. Uh, she uh, and then went to uh, convenience stores and so on. At what time and in what place? And this information was disclosed to the general public. And some of it's quite. Some of it's quite intrusive. Is that right? People were the government had. It. The Korean government had access to credit card records, and right, right, surveillance but, but, cameras, and things. Yeah, you, you can think of it this way, though, uh, because uh, because we are dealing with an infectious disease that has, right. you know, a huge uh, negative externalities. Uh, there's a question as to how much uh, privacy you should uh, respect, and how much uh, you know negative impact on public health you should be concerned about, right, and uh, typically, health officials would ask confirmed patients where she or he uh, might have been, uh, and you know, uh, confirmed uh, patients would uh, trace their memory and come up with some explanations about where they were at what time and so on. But in addition, uh, information um, stored in their um, smartphones as well as uh, credit card records. And uh, if there are you know, uh, cameras that were available, uh, all this information was uh, was used for about two week period. Uh, that that's relevant for for the uh, the uh, for the uh, contagion of the disease, right? So the the spread of the disease, I should say. And and uh, there's actually um, a provision in the in the. Um, Infectious Disease Control and Prevention Act that uh, places a heavy penalty against uh, public officials who misuse or abuse uh, these powers. And so that's the same act that was amended after the MERS. That's right. So, I see. So there's a there's a you know basic uh, personal information protection act that has a, a penalty provision for the uh, misuse misuse and abuse of uh, personal information. So there was a safeguard. And what was what was the role of digital technology in this? Uh, digital uh, technology was very important in that, you know, given the uh, ubiqu ubiquitous presence of smartphones, you could easily use the uh, GPS information to see where confirmed patients had been at what time. and. In addition, uh, alerts could be used to, uh, uh, on, a, on a local or regional basis, as to where these uh, confirmed cases uh, had been, uh, so as to uh, so as to uh, you know you know warn people, uh, or at least uh, inform people that anyone who has some uh, a suspicion uh, as to that they they might have been uh, infected with disease due to contact with suspected uh, cases, uh, confirmed cases, uh, might be able to step forward. Because uh, the problem is there's, uh, there's basic uh, asymmetric information between uh, the government and the public because the government doesn't know everyone who might have come into contact with uh, confirmed cases on the one hand. Right? On the other, uh, the, uh, the general public uh, may not have information on where and when uh, these confirmed uh, people, confirmed patients might have been without provision of information on that by the government. So uh, in, in order to resolve this uh, information asymmetry, uh, ICT um, was used uh, to, uh, to facilitate the spread of uh, information. So I see. And so sometimes that was the government gaining access to to metadata, and other times it was 
people installing apps on their smartphones. That's right. Is that yeah, right? That's right. Yeah, eventually. Yeah. yeah. So, so early on, um, President Moon Jae-in was criticized for saying that the virus would just disappear. Right. right. Now, 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 we've had just had legislative elections. I want to come back to right. that, but right. it seems like Moon Jae-in's political fortunes have have gone way up in this right. crisis. So, how right. how did that? How did the responsiveness of the of the Blue House change over time? Uh, um, no, it, it, that's a that's a very important political question. Um, on the same day, uh, the the fast track emergency use approval was granted uh, on uh, test kits. Uh, there was a decision on the extent of border control measure we will have vis a vis China. Uh, Given the extensive uh, exchanges of uh, you know, people, uh, trade, and other uh, you know um, other uh, other materials um, between uh, China and Korea, um, a government the government had to uh, weigh some you know weigh different things uh, and uh, decided to place a ban on people coming in from Hubei province, where Wuhan is located in. But uh, it uh, did not put a uh, blanket um, you know, wholesale restriction of tourists coming in or people coming in from China. Right? Uh, one concern, one uh, important concern was uh, regarding reciprocity. Because uh, you know, if Korea puts a wholesale uh, restriction, blanket restriction on uh, Chinese uh, visit to uh, Korea, there might be uh, a reciprocal response by uh, Chinese as well. So that was uh, that measure was taken on uh, February fourth, the same day as uh, the fast track approval. And for the next uh, week or so, uh, you know, there were a couple here, one here, and you know, other confirmed cases, uh, but. Uh, pre, you know, there was a sense that the things uh, things were under control, right? Thanks to uh, early and rapid response, and President Moon Jae-in uh, wanted to uh, focus uh, or shift attention to the economy. Right? So instead of uh, focusing entirely on uh, health issues, uh, he thought it would be good to you know have cautiously optimistic. A view on, yeah, so so that's why he said, you know, maybe uh, uh, within a few weeks, within a few weeks, uh, 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 we'll uh, we'll be able to have a normal life. Right? But then uh, a few days after that, uh, there was a massive outbreak in in uh, Daegu and Gyeongbuk area, centered around the uh, religious sect called uh, Shincheonji, which is uh, heavily re- reported, and uh, President Moon was. Uh, uh, criticized uh, for giving, having given people, you know, uh, misleading and uh, overly optimistic uh, projections. Right? But uh, he, you know, he t- he took the criticism uh, criticism in stride and decided to go on a massive um, response against uh, this outbreak. Right? So even though his approval rating had uh, fallen to forty one percent. Right after this outbreak, um, uh, President Moon Jae-in and government officials uh, uh, put in hard work for the next month and a half. Okay, and what what basically happened was people became appreciative of their efforts and saw uh, saw results of these uh, these uh, efforts as well. So when uh, confer- uh, daily confirmed cases began to decline after uh, you know, 29th of February, February 29th, um, and you know uh, began reaching single digits uh, or at least uh, 10 to 20 uh, people per per day. Uh, people, uh, you know, uh, highly appreciated what uh, President Moon and government officials and health professionals had done. And that resulted in a uh, victory for the ruling party in nationwide parliamentary elections held on April 15th. So. I want to I come back to that uh, in a little while. Um, I just want to ask you, what, what is 
what is daily life like right now in South Korea? It seems to me like from reporting that the lot there that South Korea South Koreans have not experienced the sort of lockdowns right. that we have experienced here. Uh, right. I, I I understand that schools are closed, but it seems like people are going to the office. Uh, right. That some semblance of normal life is going on. Right. Is that right? It, it's uh, I mean things uh, uh, people are still vigilant, uh, but uh, they are beginning to increase uh, you know, cautiously normal activities. Uh, for example, we now have. Uh, no spectator um, baseball games and uh, uh, soccer games and so on, right? And uh, in addition, as you mentioned, people do go to office, uh, probably not every day, but uh, maybe three out of five days. Okay. Um, and uh, even though in-person uh, uh, instruction is still a few weeks away, uh, online education uh, has started. Um, for schools and for uh, Korea's notorious uh, after-school Hagwon academies, uh, they still have uh, in-person instructions, but you know, students wear masks and uh, there's a, a great deal of uh, physical distancing and so on. So uh, people are beginning to uh, increase their normal activities, but there's uh, still vigilance. One recent example was um, there was this case of a nurse and her father in Busan, uh, the second largest city in, in Korea. Uh, a nurse contracted um, COVID-19 and uh, there was a you know, great deal of public scare uh, because she might have uh, spread it to her co-workers and everything. So thousand people were tested um, you know, uh, and uh, thankfully, uh, uh, there was no positive case at the hospital she worked. Uh, but her father, who's, uh, uh, who works at a high school, right, uh, apparently you know, went to work at high school and also attended some church services and so on. So there was uh, also testing of those people too. And it turned out uh, one person, one co-worker uh, co of uh, uh, this father uh, who had a brief tea time, coffee time uh, with him, contracted the virus. And that was uh, the uh, only case that uh, turned uh, positive, that, uh, that was uh, tested positive in this incident. But there was a lot of concern before that of having, say, hundreds of people uh, being infected due to the nurse and her father. Yeah. So there's, there's also public provision of masks. That's right. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's, how does that work? There are like kiosks in public places where you can buy masks? No. Uh, basically, you can go to uh, pharmacies, uh, post offices, and uh, agricultural cooperative uh, centers uh, to get your masks. And depending on your birth year, uh, you know, I was, uh, uh, say you are born, uh, say, say you are born in, say, uh, 1981, right? uh, then you can uh, get your masks, two masks per week on Monday, the first day of the week. Okay, if you were born in say 1993, you could get it on Wednesday, the third day. And uh, people who uh, couldn't, you know, who are busy during the week and couldn't get their masks on uh, Monday through Friday, could go uh, during the weekend and get their masks. So there's a public distrib uh, distribution system of uh, uh, face masks. Uh, in Korea. And so, so Korea never had harsh lockdowns. It's not like no. oh, Korea has opened up from having an even harsher lockdown. It's that there were never harsh lockdowns like there were in the United States. That's right. Yeah. And so factories, for the most part, remained open. Workplaces, right. for the most part, remained open. Okay. Right. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, statistics, statistics came out on uh, first quarter performance uh, just yesterday, yeah. and it turns out Korea's uh, economy actually grew uh, year on year from the first quarter last year, 1.3%. But uh, compared with the last quarter of 2019, uh, the economy contracted 
and you know uh, recorded uh, minus 1.4 percent. Uh, that compares very favorably with uh, China in that yeah. uh, Chinese economy uh, declined or contracted by 6.8 percent year on year uh, relative to the first quarter of uh, uh, 2019. Let's let's talk about the rest of the healthcare system. One of the things that's been remarked upon in the United States is how many how many spare hospital beds uh, right. South Korea has and and just how much seemingly spare medical capacity in general we've heard right. that South Korea banned exports of certain medical products right uh, it seems like South Korea sort of has everything that it needs domestically does that does that sound right yeah, that sounds right. Uh, in the OECD, among thirty-six OECD countries, uh, Japan has the most number of hospital beds uh, per capita, and Korea is second. Okay, and it's, and it's basically uh, uh, more than three times as much as the uh, United States and UK and other countries. Uh, but if you think about it, there's a you know indigeneity. If you have a lot of hospital beds. Uh, doctors are likely to, you know, recommend that uh, that uh, um, you you uh, you stay in hospital rather than uh, go back and forth between your uh, uh, home and hospital, right? So, but uh, important thing is that because of large number of hospital beds per capita, uh, sort of non-essential, uh, non-critical um, things could be taken care of. Uh, in a way, uh, and, and open up space for uh, COVID-19 patients. Okay? So that's an important factor, having that kind of reserve margin. In addition, when there was that outbreak in Daegu, uh, centered around uh, Shincheonji, the, the religious sect, uh, there was uh, overcrowding at, um, at hospitals. Uh, what Korea did quickly was to uh, have a, uh, have four categories uh, depending on the severe, uh, severity of the uh, of covid-19 symptoms for patients from um, you know mild moderate moderate uh, severe and extremely severe as the last and uh, the most serious category and the people with uh, mild symptoms uh, were you know, recommended to go to uh, what is called the living treatment centers, basically things things like hotels and uh, employee training centers converted to uh, makeshift hospitals uh, so that space could be opened up in regular hospitals for COVID-19 uh, COVID uh, patients with uh, more severe symptoms. Uh, in addition, as you are alluding to, Korea has a, uh, still has a manufacturing base for things like uh, PPE, uh, face masks, and, and so on. So uh, even though Korea had to uh, resort to some restriction on exports of face masks, especially to China in the early stages of the uh, outbreak, um, uh, Korea quickly ramped up production of these uh, manufacturing facilities. So my question is um, that it, I know I realize the masks and the tests uh, are a result of intentional government policy, but the hospital beds hospital beds are hard to conjure out of thin air. It, it's, it seems like South Korea just had a surplus of hospital beds and it, it was lucky to have a surplus. Is, is that right? Or was it a, the result no, of government no. policy? Well, uh, it also, I, I mean, you know, when, when there's a surge of uh, uh, confirmed cases, even if you have uh, hospital beds normally, uh, you're going to have overcrowding problem anyway. And even if you have, uh, you know, high hospital beds uh, per capita, there's indigeneity. So, you know, uh, countries like uh, Japan and Korea, where your per capita hospital beds is high, uh, tend to uh, have more hospitalization than countries like the uh, US and UK, where per capita hospital beds uh, is quite low. So, sure. so what, what, what that means is that when there's a surge of uh, uh, confirmed cases of uh, infected diseases, 
Um, one possibility is to open up space by letting uh, non-COVID-19 patients, in this case, uh, and non-critical, you know, non-essential um, uh, uh, inpatients out of hospitals and create some room. There's, there's one possibility. But when yeah. there's a real surge of uh, infected people, even that measure is not going to be enough. In fact, uh, right. in the city of Daegu, when uh, COVID-19 uh, outbreak uh, took place, uh, in the initial stage, as many as uh, about 2,000 uh, people were waiting uh, to be uh, hospitalized. Right. So what the government did then was to have a, uh, a new system of categori uh, categorizing uh, confirmed cases based on the severity of uh, the, the infection and, and the symptoms. So, you know, mild uh, patients, uh, instead of going to hospitals, could stay at home or uh, go to uh, living treatment centers. Living treatment centers uh, were basically um, makeshift hospitals, if you will, uh, uh, out of uh, uh, hotels, uh, convention centers, and uh, employee training centers and so on. So only those uh, with uh, more severe uh, symptoms could use hospital uh, and mild uh, symptom uh, patients could use uh, other facilities. That was the solution uh, that uh, that uh, that Korea came up with to solve that overcrowding problem. I see. For, and for, so, yeah. So not every not every hospital bed has uh, ventilators either. Did Korea suffer a, a shortage of ventilators like the U.S. No. did? No, Korea didn't. So it was. It just had a. Uh, did it have a stockpile or? Um, yeah, was, there was, was a the private holding enough. Yes, and uh, one thing that was quite important uh, was that uh, there was a legal provision for having uh, things like, you know, negative pressure uh, hospital rooms and uh, ventilators uh, in place uh, 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 in case there's a there's an epidemic um, like this. So uh, Korea didn't really have a big problem with uh, ventilators. I see. And so that that was in part that seems like a result of government policy, right? Right. I see. What? Um, so now that Korea has flattened the curve and seems to be approaching some some semblance of new normality, I'm I'm wondering um, what what mistakes uh, the Korean government thinks it made. Like what what lessons do you think that South Korea is going to learn? From from this from this pandemic, um, that although Korea you know followed up quickly when something happened, it wasn't as uh, as preemptive as it could have been in the following yeah. sense. Uh, so there was this uh, uh, you know outbreak uh, of this uh, outbreak of cases uh, uh, based on uh, this religious sect. Uh, but there yeah. were other cases like call centers, uh, long-term uh, care facilities, uh, nursing homes, basically, where uh, after the fact, you could you know, easily think that those should have been uh, places of concern uh, in the first place in the initial stage. Because, you know, um, people in crowded working or living conditions are susceptible to uh, this in infectious disease. So, uh, you know, if, uh, if uh, um, the, the government had been even more, had a, a little more foresight, um, maybe they could have uh, uh, preemptively uh, tested people at call centers or nursing homes. But it was only after, uh, you know, cluster outbreaks happened that these facilities uh, testing capacity was uh, deployed to uh, identify and isolate uh, confirmed cases. So that, uh, I think, is uh, something that could be uh, improved upon um, uh, for, uh, for, the, for the next possible epidemic. Uh, the other one is uh, a degree of information disclosure. Uh, Human Rights Commission in Korea um, made a 
made an announcement um, in uh, in uh, March, arguing that there's uh, too much uh, invasion of privacy in the following sense. Uh, for effective contact tracing, you of course need information on where and when uh, suspected or confirmed uh, cases uh, were. Uh, but you don't necessarily need uh, personal information having to do with uh, the, the person's gender, occupation, age, and so on, right? So um, maybe for the, for the next academic, uh, uh, the, the guidelines on information disclosure uh, need to be uh, revised uh, so that uh, invasion of privacy uh, would be minimized while safeguarding the uh, health of the public. All right, I want to I want to turn to the election question now. Um, you know, in the in the U.S., uh, the pandemic uh, affected our primary election calendar, and um, it has it's raised doubts about how how we should go about holding our presidential election in November. And uh, you know, we all saw the world watched as South Korea held legislative elections on April fifteenth, and I think especially for the United States. You know, we would we would want to know what what the lessons are for for holding an election. Uh, how how did that happen? Uh, I've I've heard that turnout was quite high. I saw right. photos of Koreans standing in line at the polling booth. What were what were the differences? Well, um, turnout was uh, very high um, uh, because people really wanted to vote on. You know which party and which candidates uh, they they support, uh, given uh, that they learned that having uh, right kind of uh, public policy in place could save lives. Right, so uh, people's desire to participate in elections was uh, very high, uh, and to get the elections uh, uh, you know done, there were. Uh, a number of uh, measures um, uh, that the government took. For instance, uh, there was a clear separation between uh, COVID-19 and non-COVID uh, people, uh, basically. So uh, if you are self-quarantined or if you are uh, confirmed cases uh, but are getting better, um, uh, then there was a separate uh, polling booth uh, and separate time uh, when you can vote, when you could vote. Okay. In addition, for uh, those people who haven't contracted uh, you know, COVID nineteen, um, there was a physical uh, physical um, uh, distancing of uh, the voters. Um, voters were also required to wear a face mask. Uh, they were required to wear uh, a glo uh, wear gloves as well. So. You know, precautionary uh, precautionary measures were taken to uh, to uh, try and minimize the possibility of another outbreak based on holding an election. In addition, you know, uh, people could vote early. Um, you know, uh, two days uh, were uh, were uh, allowed for early voting uh, before April fifteenth, so as to uh, is there yeah is there is there mail-in voting? Uh, there, there, uh, there is mail-in uh, voting, but it's not as popular in Korea as in the United States. I see. Okay, that's interesting. Well, I, I hope that uh, some of those lessons um, trickle out into the American electoral system. We've, we've been discussing here uh, doing mass mail-in voting, right, um, for for our election in November. Right. So. Um, you are an economist by training, so I would be remiss uh, if I don't uh, turn to the Korean economy. You, you mentioned earlier that uh, uh, it's, I guess quarterly growth was positive. I think you mentioned earlier, but it seems like even if uh, the Korean um, public health response to the coronavirus is successful, and it appears that it has been successful, that Korea's exposure to the global economy, its dependence upon trade, um, will, um, 
will impact the broader economy. We've got the World Trade Organization projecting uh, that world trade this year will fall between 13 and 32 percent. Uh, the IMF released a new projection that South Korea's GDP will shrink by 1.2 percent. I'd be curious to get your views on this, given your um, your background and your research. Do you how how optimistic are you? Does the IMF's projection sound right to you? Well, um, uh, first uh, to clarify, what I said was um, uh, Korea's economy grew year on year. That is uh, relative to the first quarter of 2019. The first quarter uh, 2020 uh, growth was uh, plus 1.3 percent. But compared with the fourth quarter, the last quarter of 2019, the first quarter of 2020 had the, the quarter one uh, quarter on quarter uh, growth rate of minus uh, 1.4 percent. So there was, uh, there was I see, a my mistake. Traction. Uh, uh, in addition, uh, as you are alluding to, given the uh, uh, plummeting uh, ex- external demand, uh, Korea's exports uh, suffered a huge hit in April. Um, before that, uh, export, uh, exports were ba- basically uh, 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 you know, in parity uh, relative to the first quarter of 2019. But from April 1st to April 20th, uh, Korea's exports declined by uh, minus 27%, um, so uh, relative to last year. Uh, so that, there's a huge decline in exports uh, in April. And um, as the IMF was saying, you know, Korea, uh, Korea uh, being heavily dependent on uh, international trade, uh, there's a there's a prospect of a recession, right? But because Korea was uh, Korea had an early and uh, rapid response to COVID nineteen, the degree of uh, contraction of the domestic economy uh, is much smaller uh, than say uh, China or other countries that uh, that experienced uh, severe lockdowns and. Uh, the government is uh, working hard uh, to uh, come up with uh, stimulus measures that would, uh, you know, shore up aggregate demand in the face of, uh, you know, declining external demand for Korea's exports. So I, I think, I, I think uh, you know, something like minus 1% uh, is a reasonable uh, conjecture at this point, but uh, there's a lot of uncertainty going forward, so it'll be uh, difficult to come up with a, you know, a precise uh, projection for uh, economic growth this year. Yeah, of course, of course. Tell us, tell us about the stimulus measures that the Korean government has taken. Well, uh, a, a number of local governments already, um, you know, came up with uh, emergency measures to provide. Uh, money to uh, their citizens. And given uh, the April 15th election, the national measure was delayed because, you know, for obvious reasons, opposition parties would say uh, uh, any uh, any uh, stimulus uh, that uh, in- involved cash transfers directly to voters uh, would have a you know, big impact on the election. So that ha- uh, had been delayed. But now, uh, a plan is in place uh, to provide uh, uh, some cash to every household uh, in Korea. And uh, uh, there may be people who are rich enough uh, to uh, think that, you know, they don't really need uh, this uh, assistance from the government and instead might want to uh, donate the money to uh, those who are more vulnerable or more affected by the uh, by the crisis. So, uh, what the government is uh, proposing now is to give money first to uh, every household, uh, but uh, that the ones who uh, choose to uh, donate uh, the money uh, could have uh, some you know tax incentive down the road. Is uh, so and, and, uh, in the U.S. There's a plan to. Uh, plan to uh, provide uh, emergency assistance to the core industries of Korea, like uh, shipbuilding yeah. and others, uh, 
that have uh, suffered a massive, massive demand shock coming from the uh, from overseas. I see. So uh, a lot of your uh, your um, your personal research focuses on the chables and the uh, sort of um, industrial organization of Korea. I wonder if you think. Uh, I, I I read uh, when I was doing background research for this that um, in tough times Koreans turn to the chables as as sort of beacons of stability given their size. And I'm wondering if you think this crisis will have some implication for the the structure of the Korean economy. Well, um, uh, what you said. Um, what wasn't really true uh, in the aftermath of the 1997 economic crisis, for instance, because you know 16 of the uh, uh, largest, uh, 30 largest uh, business groups uh, went bankrupt at the time. Um, so it's not always the case that Jebel is the beacon of stability uh, in Korea. But uh, since the uh, 1997 crisis, uh, uh, the surviving Chebel had uh, greatly improved uh, their uh, financial, you know, uh, performance and uh, uh, reduced their debt equity ratio and so on. So uh, uh, I I think quite a few of them would uh, would survive uh, in you know pretty good conditions um, and. Uh, and uh, the uh, the given the fiscal buffer uh, Korea has, given its uh, relatively low national debt uh, compared to uh, GDP, uh, there's a uh, there's a you know room for uh, intervention by the government to provide uh, support to small businesses, uh, households affected by the crisis, uh, as well as to provide some um, assistance to core industries affected by a huge uh, decline in exports. So I think overall, uh, this will have a big impact on the Korean economy, uh, where uh, companies would um, look at risk diversification even more seriously than before. Okay, And uh, instead of just emphasizing efficiency and bare-bone uh, minimum for uh, what they are going to have, they uh, will have to think seriously about reserve margin and uh, diversifying their risks uh, going forward. So I think that that will have some effect on things like reshoring and uh, reconfiguring uh, global value chains. I'd like to ask about uh, Korea's global influence. It's, it's received a lot of, um, as I mentioned at the outset, a lot of attention uh, for its, its apparently successful response, or at least its, uh, its efficient uh, and, and competent response uh, to the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, uh, Korea's giant neighbor, China, uh, has been... Uh, embarking on a sort of mask diplomacy effort in order to convince the world that um, it's, it's, a, it's a positive actor, it's probably trying to uh, you know, save its reputation a little bit uh, since the, uh, the virus did begin, it seems, in China. I wonder if you think that South Korea's international influence is going to grow or how it should grow or what the Korean government should do to to see to it that um, the world understands South Korea's success here. We've, we've seen uh, the, your Ministry of Foreign Affairs has put, put out a, a couple excellent reports on, on the, the features of South Korea's response. But I, I wonder what else, what else you think it might do or what the prospects are in that regard. Well, Korea is already engaged in something like uh, test kit uh, diplomacy, right? Uh, so. Uh, on uh, supplying essential uh, uh, medical equipment and, and materials for uh, controlling and preventing infectious disease uh, diseases. Uh, Korea is already uh, doing something. In addition, um, uh, President Moon Jae-in and the current government are, is uh, very uh, serious about uh, um, 
uh, having this agenda on uh, international platforms like uh, the G20 uh, at the end of uh, you know uh, at the end of March there was an online G20 summit and um, you know Korea I think uh, going forward will be very proactive in defining the agenda on uh, international cooperation on health issues. And uh, previously, people like uh, uh, Chancellor Merkel uh, of uh, Germany had floated the idea of uh, having some uh, cooperation on global health issues at the G20 already. So I, I think Korea, uh, likewise, will try to push for further uh, global co cooperation on health issues and for uh, regional cooperation as well uh, through, you know, platform like uh, ASEAN plus three, uh, Korea will try to um, reinforce the idea that you don't need, uh, you know, severe lockdowns if you could have a uh, rapid uh, early response to an infectious disease uh, like COVID-19. And even beyond that, if there's a, you know, fairly good monitoring system that identifies a possible outbreak of a new epidemic right? relatively early um, in uh, its stage, then um, uh, the, the, the region and the world will benefit uh, together. Right? So uh, on those issues, uh, I think Korea will try to uh, exercise international leadership going forward. What about uh, talk? Talk to me a little bit more about test diplomacy. It, it, I I gather that South Korea's test output grew rapidly, and then I guess uh, the domestic market needed fewer tests, and so then Korea started exporting them. Is that a is that just a market response, or is there a lot of government intervention there? Uh, it's mostly a market response, but uh, uh, countries like Finland, for instance. Um, uh, they they wanted to have a lot of testing, uh, but uh, apparently um, the, their testing uh, capacity is limited. So what Finland did was to uh, um, airlift uh, specimens, the, the samples uh, from people, and had those uh, samples and specimens uh, tested in Korea. Okay. Uh, in addition, peop, uh, countries like Romania uh, requested, uh, you know, uh, test kits. And uh, as you know, in Maryland, uh, uh, you know, Governor Larry Hogan uh, was able to uh, bring in uh, half a million test kits from Korea as well. So yeah. uh, there's uh, some mix of uh, market response as well as uh, diplomacy that's going on on uh, test kit front. I see. I'd like to close uh, with one last question. Usually it doesn't get asked about last, uh, which is uh, the topic of North Korea. Right. Uh, we've heard a lot of conflicting reports about North Korea, uh, that they have zero cases, that they have lots of cases, that they're asking for secret help, uh, that their leader is sick. Uh, sort of unclear what's going on there, but I, I'd be interested, I think our listeners would be interested in your your impression of it, you know, granted, there's a lot of uncertainty, but right. um, it's an important issue. Right. Um, North Korea had to uh, shut down the border on January 29th, because... Uh, I think they were the first country, is that right? Uh, I think Mongolia might have been the first one, but, uh, but uh, yeah, pretty much, uh, kind of, uh, given the outbreak in China, they had to uh, shut down the border. Uh, and this is a big problem in that you know, a lot of uh, cross-border uh, trade takes place uh, uh, between China and uh, North Korea. In addition, right. um, uh, you know, medical uh, facilities are dilapidated in, uh, in North Korea. So I suspect there's uh, you know, some problem uh, with uh, COVID-19 that's going on in North Korea, but that's not being disclosed uh, to the outside world. And at some point, I think there'll be um, there'll be uh, you know call for international cooperation on that front uh, on humanitarian grounds, and that in turn might have uh, 
a, a positive impact uh, impact on you know deadlocked uh, negotiations uh, between yeah. North Korea yeah. and the United States and so on. So you know there's a lot of uncertainty, uh, but I think a COVID nineteen outbreak might ironically serve as a catalyst for uh, you know international cooperation uh, with uh, North Korea. Well, um, on on that positive note, I think uh, I think we will end. Uh, it's been a pleasure, Dr. Lim. Uh, thank you for being on Asia in Washington. Okay, thank you. Thank you for having me. Asia in Washington is a production of the Edwin O. Reischauer Center for East Asian Studies at Johns Hopkins Sice. Visit our website at reischauercenter.org.